There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. Lover's Lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. After nine albums as half of the Fiery Furnaces, Eleanor Friedberger is now enjoying an exciting career as a solo artist. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Singer-songwriter Eleanor Friedberger joins us for a conversation and a live performance in front of an audience. Then we review the new release from Chicago's Chance the Rapper. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Greg, later in the show, we are going to review the third full release from Chicago's Chance the Rapper. No exaggeration to say it's one of the most anticipated hip-hop albums of the year. No exaggeration to say that he is one of the most important artists on the hip-hop scene today, but accepting that means believing that you can be one of the most important hip-hop artists in the world today and never have sold a single record. But we're going to get into that later, Jim, but first we've got some music news. That is the ABBA song, The Way Old Friends Do. It was performed by ABBA the other night, the first time that the group has reunited in 30 years, celebrating the 50-year union of the songwriting duo of Bjorn and Benny, who founded ABBA. The group was later joined by Agneta and Frida. The couples were at one point married. ABBA fans, who are an obsessive lot, noted that the song was performed by Agneta and Frida, and Benny and Bjorn didn't actually sing with their former partners on this particular song. They joined them at the end. There were hugs exchanged. There was lots of talk that this was presaging the reunion tour, Jim, that everyone has been waiting for, including you, right? Yeah, really. I mean, you and I are both big ABBA fans. We did a show on ABBA, you know. That is a rare reunion that would hold something for fans. That would be an international event, without a doubt. But a number of uh, observers, including the ABBA historian Carl Magnus Palm, say not likely. He said, one should never say never, I guess, but I would say with 99.9% certainty that that's never going to happen. So here's Abba staring at uh, millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, they've been offered absurd amounts of money. They won't do it. But wait, we can keep hope alive. (laughs) Why would you want to take it slow? Hold me till I let you go. Or treat me like a tennis pro. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to dim the light? Let that record play all night. Scramble your can with a white. Why would you want to do that? You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with Jim DeRogatis, and that's a little bit of the song Because I Asked You by our guest this week, singer-songwriter Eleanor Friedberger. Now that track comes off her third solo album, New View, which was released earlier this year. Eleanor grew up not far from uh, Sound Opinions headquarters in the uh, Chicago suburb of Oak Park, Illinois. And in 2000, she moved to New York City where she formed a duo with the Fiery Furnaces with her older brother, Matthew. Together, they made it nine albums in six years, a pretty prolific pace. We had them on as guests on the show back in 2008. 
but the band's been on hiatus since 2011. And since that time, Eleanor Friedberger has put out three strong solo albums. Last summer, in 2011, Personal Record in 2013, and now New View. You know, the new material, the stuff she's been doing lately, is really different from Fiery Furnace's fragmented art rock, really experimental stuff. She is drawing now on the sounds of the 60s and 70s, classic rock, folk rock, heavy on the Laurel Canyon, we had the pleasure of chatting with Eleanor in front of an audience at the Gibson Showroom in Austin, Texas during the South by Southwest Music Conference in March. She was joined by her band, drummer Noah Hecht, guitarist Malcolm Perkins, keyboardist Michael Rosen, and Jonathan Rosen on bass. And I was curious to know what Eleanor thought the hardest part about moving from being part of a band, Fiery Furnaces, to becoming a solo artist was. The hardest thing, I think, was becoming a band leader and finding people to play with. And, you know, I always kind of let my brother take that role in terms of arranging and just kind of being nasty and telling people what to do. And that didn't <laughs> necessarily cup, come come that naturally to me. And so I'd say that was the hardest thing. And in the last, you know, six years now, I've played with more people than I had 10 years previously, which has been the hardest thing and, and the best thing, really. It's been a very prolific career, really. You've worked on about a dozen records between Fiery Furnaces, your own stuff. That's pretty amazing. For those of you who don't know, Eleanor is originally from the Chicago area. And, and I, went uh, to, I went to college in Austin, which, you know, we could yeah. talk about that too, but I feel like Chicago shaped me musically so much, but also this place did really very much as well. Well, I want you to uh, talk a little bit about that because, you know, when you were growing up, was there a spark there, a, a sort of an interest in, you know, hey, I could, I could do this someday as a living? I mean, I don't know if that ever crossed my mind. And forgive me if I've already told you this anecdote, but I remember asking my brother when I was very young, like, could I marry a baseball player and a rock star? Could that be <laughs> the same person? And that was like the first time, you know, like... I can remember thinking that, you know, I wanted to combine my love of sports and music somehow. And I never thought like that I would be the rock star. I thought I could marry a rock star, which is a little embarrassing. But it was always something that was like the most important thing to me. It was very much pretend until I moved down here and started playing music, you know, just even in my bedroom and had friends who made four track recordings. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I really started trying. It was a lot of, you know, singing along to records after school. Like, you know, I remember having the first three or four Elvis Costello records. And I swear, if you're like trying to learn how to sing, like singing along to Elvis Costello records is a really good way to learn if you can keep up with his phrasing. Whose idea was it to be in a band with your brother? Did he? How did, how did that evolve? Yeah, when I was a freshman here at UT, my brother bought me a guitar that Christmas, and and then the following year he bought me a drum kit, and then I got a four-track recorder the next year, I think, and and then I moved to New York a few years after that, and I'd started playing with a friend of mine from college, and then he moved to New York shortly after, and. It just, I remember him watching me play at someone's birthday party and he was kind of in the corner. And I remember looking at him just thinking like, he should be doing this with, the, you know, he's the best musician I know in New York, so why isn't he doing that with me? And, and I just went from there. Climb, climb the chrome ladder in the front Well, they're all yawning 
The music on your solo records, I think obviously the voice is recognizable to them, but it's very different from the kind of music you were making in Fiery Furnaces. I used to joke with your brother that he was making progressive rock records for an indie rock audience. They were very dense and very jigsaw puzzle type songs, and then you would change them again when you would perform live. It was very complicated kind of music. I finally listened, this is a little embarrassing and nerdy, but I, I, we used to get compared to Frank Zappa, like they would just write that, you know, just like a blanket sort of thing, it's Zappa-esque or whatever, you know, and I, I never really listened to Frank Zappa records until just like a week ago, and I listened to um, Apostrophe, and I was like, I can completely understand why they made that comparison. There's so many musical <laughs> ideas happening in each song, and it made, it made sense. Yes, indeed. Here we are. At St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast, where I stole the margarine and wheeled on the bingo cards and blew up the latrine. Did you ever want to tell Matt, slow down? Give me a give me a little breathing room here. Can you give me an extra? I wanted. I told phrase? him like, turn down mm-hmm. <laughs> on stage. He was a big believer in being as loud. You know, he was a loud and fast mm-hmm. kind of philosophy live, at least. Right, right. So when you started making these solo records, uh, it seemed like in some ways you were going back to some of the stuff you were listening to as a kid. Was it something that sort of been building up for a while? Like I'm going to make this record, or was it? Did it sort of? that moment catch you by surprise in terms of making your own music? I just think it was a now or never sort of situation. And I finally kind of caught up with technology and started doing garage band demos at home for fun. And, you know, my brother had left New York for, you know, for various reasons. It was kind of like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. But I I didn't have like a backlog of material waiting. But I, 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 I do feel like, oh, yeah, I have this breathing room and, and and people have said to me, friends who've seen me play over the years, just say, like, well, you seem just so much more comfortable and relaxed on stage now. Now let's hear a sample of her confident new sound. This is Eleanor Friedberger performing Open Season and Sweetest Girl from her album New View, live on Sound Opinions. Spring 
That was Eleanor Friedberger with the tunes Open Season and Sweetest Girl live on Sound Opinions at the Gibson Showroom in Austin, Texas. You can see video of Eleanor's entire set on our website, soundopinions.org. When we get back, we'll have more performance and conversation with Eleanor Friedberger, and later we'll review the new record from Chance the Rapper. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is Stare at the Sun by Eleanor Friedberger from her second solo album, Personal Record, in 2013. We spoke with the singer-songwriter in front of an audience at the Gibson Showroom during the South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas, last March. She had just released her third record, New View, and we wanted to know if she approached the recording of that album in any way as a response 
to her previous two solo records. Yes, and I think the the biggest and most important thing, I was touring with the guys that I'm playing with now and to promote the last record, although they hadn't played on it. And I just thought, God, you know, I need to play, record with people who I'm actually going to then play with and not do it this backwards way, which is how I've always done it. Um, so that was really important. But um, no, now I wish I could say like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do for the next one, mm-hmm. but I haven't quite gotten to that point yet. Well, and there were some important steps, it seemed, between the uh, the second and third record. One, you were uh, in the house band for, for Seth Meyers, right? For the Smith, yeah. Seth Meyers shows. Tell us, what was that experience like? Uh, that was really cool. I mean, at first, uh, you know, I've, I've known Fred Armisen for a while, and he asked me, you know, they were looking for people to kind of step in and out of these various roles because they hadn't quite settled on what the band was going to be. And when he first asked me, I just thought, you know, what? First of all, I'm not exactly a great guitar player. And I I didn't quite know what I was supposed to do. And it was all and you know, he's a comedian, and he's very much used to improvising, which is so great about him. And he's like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And no questions asked. Just like, I showed up one day with four other people, five other people, and we sat in a room and wrote, you know, about eight pieces of music that we played on TV that night. And so for me, that was just a great learning experience to, you know, not be so precious about music making, to play with new people, and just to come up with little parts quickly and that were supposed to be catchy, you know, and I think that informed a couple of the songs we're going to play today, like, for sure, came out of that experience. So these people you had never, you were thrown in a room together with four other musicians that you had never met before. Right. And say, come up with some music. Yeah. And then they they play in a low pressure situation on national, national TV. TV. Yeah, 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 with cameras and wearing weird fancy clothes and lots of makeup and it's it, it was a strange but really fun thing to do. Sun can set in scarlet for an hour on the horizon The clouds can all kaleidoscope right before my eyes And the sweetest bird on earth can sing And the other thing that happened between album two and three was the Andy Warhol Museum yes. came calling. They, did they call you or did you approach him? It was actually him? Dean Wareham from Galaxy 500 Luna. He he um, asked me to participate in this project that he was curating kind of live scoring Andy Warhol films that hadn't been seen before along with Bradford Cox and Tom Verlaine and Martin Rev from Suicide. So it was a pretty motley crew of people. It's a nice flow. <laughs> wow. Warhol made many, many films. Yeah. He kind of stopped doing paintings for a while in the 60s and dedicated himself to making films. And um, the ones that we're using are between like three and six minutes long. So perfect kind of song length. And I, I just wrote basically rock songs with lyrics for the three films that I was assigned, which included like Donovan, a screen test of Donovan, a kind of screen test with um, the very beautiful woman with blonde hair. Yeah, eighty centric. Jeez, yeah. and an artist named Marisol, like a stop motion film. Wow. So um, this was music that was um, recorded and then played. No, sorry, we just you played it live. We didn't. We haven't recorded the music. It was meant just only for the live performance. So a live performance of again a kind of yeah. a 
you know, high pressure situation. Yeah, it's only Andy Warhol's so. movies. But, but a very different approach. You know, I had yeah. like a year and a half to work on that music. So that was kind of agonizing because I, I work pretty quickly and then I'd have to go back and be like, is this good enough? Is this good? And, you know, keep, and then I would just kind of have to stick to my original intention. You're listening to Sound Opinions. We are here in Austin, Texas with Eleanor Friedberger. She's about to do another song for us. What are we going to hear, Ellen? We're going to play Jim's favorite song now, Kathy with the Curly Hair. And then two versions of Tomorrow.
with the curly hair and two versions of tomorrow by eleanor friedberger live on sound opinions at the gibson showroom in austin i mentioned to eleanor that my favorite song on the new album was the one she just played kathy with the curly hair and i was interested in learning what that song was really about and where she got the inspiration that's a song that i i I think it was kind of written in the same spirit of like doing something for the seth meyers show like i'm like i need to just write a catchy pop song and you know here's part a and here's part b and that's it and the lyrics are an inside joke between me and a man who lives with someone named kathy with curly hair um but that's between me and him in general what inspires you to sit down and write um i don't know i try to keep kind of lists and you know i do you know if you write me an email it's fair game i might use you (laughs) um you know overheard conversations and text messages and you know i tend to write pretty autobiographical songs well the first song on the album he didn't mention his mother Uh was as you know (laughs) what a starting point for a for a song and this whole kind of elliptical vignette narrative plays out um and there's all sorts of interpretation there and i'm my wife and i were talking about it for two months trying to figure out well, why didn't this guy mention his mother uh-huh. you never really kind of answer that and it seems like you you like to leave those openings in these songs yeah i mean i i like to write personal songs but not personal you know not too personal where everyone can't insert themselves into the narrative you know and that song you know i wanted to have kind of a funny longer title and i didn't want to have it be called like a house a chair or a rug it's not a very catchy title uh, <laughs> although it could have been that 
calling it that gives it a little bit more heft. Do you feel now with the band that you have that you want to explore the idea of sort of, you know, the Eleanor Friedberger band as opposed to, you know, the solo records? I mean, do you see this evolving more in a band-like direction where it's collaborative or do you feel like this is going to be kind of me and then the band comes in and sort of uh, yeah, well, does I mean, my bidding? Th kind this of album was very collaborative. You know, we, we worked together on the songs after I'd, you know, written the basic lyrics and chord structures and then kind of presented the songs to these guys and and really gave them a lot of freedom with what they were going to play but as far as moving forward I don't know people always have other things to do these guys have their own band called Ice Water and you know I can't rely on anybody sticking around forever mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's fine everyone's got to do their own thing sure well, uh, and of course, there, there was there is that other band in your background. That's do you, true. Do you, That's uh, true. You've been asked this question a few times. I wish I had a better answer. I mean, it, it's really hard to imagine not playing with my brother again. But it's just about the timing. right. I mean, I miss, you know, he's still the best musician I know and the mm. most kind of creative and, uh, I don't know, nobody plays like him. So it would be weird to not do something together again. I'm going away, I'm going away. I'll be back some old day. I'll be back some old day. I'll be back some old day. Well, we've been talking to Eleanor Friedberger here on Sound Opinions live from the Gibson Showroom in Austin, Texas. It's been an absolute pleasure, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Let's hear one last tune from Eleanor Friedberger and her band. Noah Hecht, Malcolm Perkins, Michael Rosen, and Jonathan Rosen. Here's Does Turquoise Work live on Sound Opinions.
Eleanor Friedberger with Does Turquoise Work, live on Sound Opinions at the Gibson Showroom in Austin, Texas. To watch videos of our entire performance, visit us at soundopinions.org. Have a comment on Eleanor or anything in the music universe? Give us a call for the air at 888-859-1800. Later, we're going to review the latest release from Chicago artist Chance the Rapper, and Jim's going to drop a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Came to me in deep distress, torn with jealousy and rage. He said he'd never love her, wouldn't marry someone her age. You don't love him, no, you hate him. And then she called me a fool. And you know nothing about cruelty. Then he ceases being cruel. She like music, she from Houston, like Auntie Yonce. Man, my daughter couldn't have a better mother. If she ever find another, he better love her. Man, I swear my life is perfect. I can merge it. If I die, I'll probably cry in my own service. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and that's all we got from the new Chance the Rapper album, Coloring Book. Chance the Rapper, 23 years old, has already had a very full and active career. Going back to his early teens, he started putting out a series of mixtapes in the Chicago underground scene. His breakthrough was a mixtape called 10 Day, based on a 10-day suspension he received (laughs) for for smoking pot at his school. His second mixtape in 2013, Acid Rap, was the one that gave him some national recognition. Soon after, this is a key point about Chance's career, he started putting together a band to tour that material live. And he essentially built a self-contained music industry. Jim, we mentioned at the top of the show, Chance has not sold a single record, and that is because he is distributing his music for free. He is making it available on the Internet to anyone who wants to listen to it. And he's bringing huge crowds to his shows. Last year, when people thought he was going to put out the big follow-up solo record, he zigged when people thought he was going to zag and worked instead on his friend Donnie Trumpet's record. He called it Surf. Chance was essentially the lead vocalist on that album. Now we do have the new Chance the Rapper solo album with people like Nico Segal, a.k.a. Donnie Trumpet, and Peter Cottontail all over it. He's once again incorporating many of his friends into this project. It's called Coloring Book. Here's a track from it called Blessings on Sound Opinions. 
blessings go up. The blessings come down when the praises go up. The blessings come down. It seems like blessings keep falling in my lap. It seems like blessings keep falling in my lap. I don't make songs for free, I make them for freedom. Don't believe in kings, believe in the kingdom. Chisel me into stone prayer, whistle me into song air. Dying laughing with Krillin saying something about blonde hair. Jesus, black life ain't matter. I know I talked to his daddy, say you the man of the house now. Look out for your family. He has ordered my steps, gave me a sword with a crest, and gave Donnie a trump in case I get shortness of breath. Don't be mad. I'm gone. Praise him. Praise him till I'm gone. That is Chance the Rapper from his third official release, a song called Blessings. I don't make songs for free. I sing for freedom, he raps. Don't believe in kings. Believe in the kingdom. Now, Chance has taken us to church, Greg. There is a lot of gospel on this album. He's thinking that the best tool to fight the plague of violence in the African-American community across this country, but especially in Chicago, where the body count is mounting once again this summer, is music. And from music, community. You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be religious to accept uh, what he's saying. There are specific lines. You know, he's saying he's going to fight the serpent and he's preaching to us. On the other hand, the sense of humor is still there. He also says he wants to give Satan a swirly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think what he's talking about is the power of music to lift us up, to form a community, to fight the plague of violence. There is nothing as dramatic as the Pusha Man paranoia suite on Acid Rap where he remarkably looked at the violence in Chicago and said, I pray that the spring lasts a little longer because summer's when people die. But he comes close. Here he's looking out at, at the carnage in the streets and he is rapping. Too many young angels on the south side got us scared to let our grandmamas outside. But he's offering solutions. It's so uplifting. There are problems with this album. It is not the masterpiece that acid rap is. But the musical ambition and the lyrical insight, there's no two ways around it. Chance at 23 is probably the most important voice in hip-hop today. It's definitely a buy-it record. I agree with you, Jim, in many ways. I think there's no doubt that he is making some of the richest, most dense albums in hip-hop right now, most ambitious records in hip-hop. I'd put him right up there with what Kendrick Lamar and and Kanye West are doing in terms of what he's trying to project from a musical standpoint. He's encompassing all of African-American music in his records. For a young guy, 23 years old, doing this much at this stage in his career is really remarkable. The gospel influence is absolutely huge. This is not a fake gospel record. I mean... No, he's got Kirk he, Franklin as another he, guest. He is, he is truly invested in this. He's sung many songs in the past, or rapped many songs in the past, about his investment in going to church and his beliefs. 
I don't think you have Life of Pablo, Kanye West's record, oh, no. with its gospel overtones without the influence of Chance the Rapper. And I may be going out on a limb and saying that, but I think Kanye, if you pinned him down, would say, yeah, absolutely, I've been listening to what yeah. Chance has been doing. Well, and Coloring Book's a better record than Life of Pablo. It is. It is, without a doubt. He's really invested in the power of the voices. And those voices lifting in song really connect this to a deeper struggle, one that goes back 50 years, that civil rights struggle. You mentioned the the shootings in Chicago. He's making connections. What was at the root of those civil rights songs in the 60s? It was gospel music. He's connecting that same thread here in Coloring Book, and it's really powerful. And the very first song, he says, music is all we got. We got Laquan McDonald, you know, getting shot down by 16 police bullets in the streets of Chicago. Sometimes music is all we got. That's our armor right now. It's a buy it record for me. It's a double buy it from Jim and myself for Coloring Book. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island, play a track we cannot live without. This week, Jim, it is your turn. Well, Greg, we are not the first to remark that 2016 has been a horrible year for loss in the music world. I couldn't not pay tribute to Candy Kane. No one I've interviewed in my career has been quite like Candy Kane. This is her own list, which she proudly gives, of the many ways you could describe her. Former porn star, stripper, blues diva, fat activist, feminist (laughs) bisexual, excommunicated Mormon, teenage mom, single mother, and Tupperware lady for a while she <laughs> sold Tupperware. Candy Cane came from that Los Angeles punk scene that gave us the blasters and X. She was part of it, but she also was singing in church and singing for the chulos on the corner, as she said. She wound up to raise her son uh, becoming kind of a porn star in a particular niche of big, beautiful women, okay? Much of the blues that she made was about that, about accepting your body, accepting yourself, not being told that you can't do something. This made her part, I think, of a great blues tradition that included, you know, Etta James, Big Mama Thornton, and Julia Lee, these larger-than-life women who would not be denied. A dozen albums in a great career that saw her touring the world, briefly signed to a major label, a lot of great, credible music for indie blues labels, and, you know, she would also play house parties. You know, she'd come to town, she'd play a club like Fitzgerald's in Chicago, outside of Chicago, and then play somebody's living room. She was trying to talk me for years into writing her biography, but I said, look, you're a wonderful writer yourself. You need to write this. And hopefully there was enough of it done before her death at age 54 a few weeks ago. She was fighting cancer over the last couple of years and was very brave about it and also very funny talking about it, singing about it, writing about it. I think she's an inspiration for so many reasons, so much power and so much humor and so much goodwill. And this was the song that really became her anthem, The Toughest Girl Alive by Candy Kane from Southern California on Sound Opinions. Down. I'm the baddest girl in town. Don't 
Candy Kane, the toughest girl alive. In tribute to her, she recently died at the age of 54. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to play some of our favorite songs about being on the edge, anxious anthems. Greg, we had a lot of help putting our live recording from Texas together. Adam Yaffe, Will Moganlu, Mark Somganeri, Ryan McCoy, Gabriel Perez, Miguel Gutierrez Jr., and everybody at Gibson and KUTX. Sound Opinions was produced this week by Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, our intern Libby Gormley, and some special help from Jason Marks. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. Hi, my name is Bradley, and I'm calling for Chicago, and I just caught the second part of your uh, Bob Dylan retrospective, and I really appreciate that you guys dedicated two whole episodes to someone who's had a significant impact on me, and I just think it's really interesting that you had just skipped over his work in the 70s and 80s, and what's really interesting about Dylan and the mythology that surrounds Dylan is that allegedly everything he does is on purpose, and if it's something that is terrible, it gets played off, well, that was planned, that was meant to be bad. But I don't really buy into the idea that what he was doing was meant to be terrible or whatever at that time. I think he had well-intentioned ideas that he executed, but executed poorly. And actually, one of my favorite Dylan moments is actually in the 80s, when he appeared on Curtis Blow's album, Kingdom Blow, 
and raps on the opening track, Street Rock. I have indulgent high knowledge to scan of encyclopedia. Keeping constant research of our reports and news media. Kids starve in Ethiopia, and we are getting greedier. The rich are getting richer, and the needy's getting needier. He was just, you know, I've, I've had this legacy for 20 years. I've done everything I want to do right now. I'm just going to go ahead and rap. I think that is a kind of a little bit of Dylan being Dylan there. Keep up the great work, guys. Fantastic. My name is Brad Crabtree, calling from Pocatello, Idaho. I think it was Greg who tried to assume what Dylan meant from a previous interview, where uh, Dylan talked about making a deal with a higher power. Why do you still do it? Why are you still out here? Well, it goes back to the destiny thing. I, mean, I made a bargain with it a long time ago, and I'm holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where I am now. Should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, with, with the chief chief commander. On this earth? <laughs> on this earth and in, uh, and then in a world we can't see. Greg assumed that Dylan meant the devil. If you're a Dylan fan, you would know that he is a man of faith. I think that's one of his most enduring, attractive qualities, is his ability to convey the human condition to get through this thing called life and all of its complex experiences that cause each of us to grapple with faith. To suggest that he made a deal with the devil is off the mark. Anyway, thank you for your wonderful show. Bye-bye. Many try to stop me Shake me up in my mind Say prove to me that he's Lord Show me a sign What kind of sign My name is George Barner from the Pacific Northwest out of Olympia, Washington. And uh, I was kind of listening to Bob Dylan in the 60s. I was in a band, and we were playing blues and rock and roll. And I knew he was a folky. I was impressed that he went electric because as a folky, it was kind of eclectic and a separate genre. He's an amazing character, an amazing personality, and he's unique. But as he became electric, he broadened his appeal, and he was really stepping out into the mainstream. I thought he did the right thing, and I still do. And I hope that America understands that he was speaking to everyone. He wanted to to broaden his appeal, and he did. Good for Bob. Thank you. Bye-bye. messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.